kids. The July 5th, 2019 edition of Weekly Signals Meltdown, a reconfiguration of the last 168 hours of history broadcasting from Studio A at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And as always, Wolfgang Bush's emotional support animal, Mahler, the fake news dog. Good morning, Mahler. Coming up, iguanas. Big oil gate, the Arctic ring of fire, and more. But first, did you have a good Independence Day, Mike? Yes, I did. Yeah, yes, yeah. The earthquake didn't shake you up. You didn't even feel it. I didn't even feel it. I'm so surprised. Drive any tanks around? I didn't try. (laughs) Mahler, in in recognition of Independence Day, Mm -hmm. he has a. He'd like to set fire to something. (laughs) I I told him he could. Well, go ahead, Mahler. (laughs) Yeah, Mahler. Well, go ahead. Oh, very nice. Well, very good. Uh, here's something to celebrate, Mike. Yes. According to new federal government data, the U.S. generated more electricity from renewable sources than from coal for the first time ever. Yes. Yeah. Yes. In April. That's Independence Day right there. Yeah. Clean energy like solar and wind provided 23% of U.S. electricity generation during the month compared to coal's 20%. There you go. That's a good thing. USA! 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 Yeah, we beat coal. I have a little prompt here right now. So whenever I'm feeling patriotic, Uh yeah. uh USA! 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 Uh, I'm welling up with pride right now. (laughs) This is the first time that dirty coal has been one-upped by clean energy sources that don't pollute the heavens with planet-heating gases. The fate of coal has been sealed. The market has spoken. The trend is irreversible. Now the decline of coal is unstoppable despite Trump's rhetoric, said Michael Weber, a professor of energy resources at the University of Texas. 51 coal plants have closed, and eight coal companies have filed for bankruptcy since Trump became president. Yeah. You hear about that? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. (laughs) The falling cost of renewables and gas has helped defeat dirty coal. Yeah, and it's only going to continue. That gap will continue to widen, right? The price the effectiveness, the ability to generate renewable energy now is going down. It will continue to go down as yeah. research continues on solar, on wind, all these different things. So it's trending in the right direction. However, we have a numbskull for a president, and that doesn't mean that coal is dead. It's not dead. It's dying. Well, it's going to have a prolonged, cancerous kind of death. Exactly. That know? will affect all of us. Yeah. And, speaking and what's of cancer, too bad, yeah. as this, uh, yeah. Michael Weber said, the professor, he also added that Trump has made a promise that will be broken, which is a tragedy for coal miners who were told they don't need to get other jobs or get new skills. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Come on, coal miners. Adopt, adapt, improve. That's what yeah. you do yeah. when things like this happen. You don't cling on to something that's obviously dirty and old. I know that there's a tremendous amount of pride 
in people whose families were in the coal mining business. Oh, come on. There's a tremendous amount of pride in families everywhere whose parents served in a lot of different right. jobs. Coal miners don't have any special thing, they except just, they got dirty and some of them died. Lots and that's of a shame. Died. They yeah. be, should be thankful that we're going with clean uh, energy. I'm, I'm with you. It's a cultural Give it thing. up, coal miners. It's a cultural Jesus. thing. I, I don't, you, you know. know what? It's just that they're manly. The image is this big, strong coal miner guy with a dirty face right. putting in his time every day. Building America, yeah, building. which there's truth to the Industrial yeah, Revolution being a coal-driven. I, I know. Things I, I built know, America. I know. I know. Are we I know. bemoaning the fact that no, some it's because they have data cr- programmers are right. losing their jobs? Right. It's, one of the, it's because they have crappy educational systems in that part of the country. They are reliant on this. They have been basically working for slave wages yeah. for so long. This is all they have. Have. It holds true for a lot of different uh, occupations. Right. Right. I don't know. It's just, it's just this. held on to it for a I know. I know. Meanwhile, according to a new study, the U.S. produces far more garbage and recycles far less garbage than other developed nations. The U.S. represents just 4% of the world's population, but it produces 12% of global municipal solid waste. Got that? Yeah. Four percent of the world's population we hear, but twelve percent of the waste. In comparison, China and India make up more than thirty-six of the world's population and generate only twenty-seven percent of that waste. Yeah. yeah. That would mean that if we kept the same grid, we'd be down to about three percent of right. the world's waste. That's right. Will our Americans recycle just 35% of their municipal waste? Germany, the most efficient country, hey, what a surprise, recycle 68%. Those Germans, you got to love them. Uh, you got to give them that efficiency. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Germany, Germany, Germany. <laughs> the study estimates that the U.S. produces about 234 pounds of plastic waste per person per year. That's disgusting. Yeah. That is truly disgusting. It's, it's not surprising, though. Every time you touch plastic today and put it, throw it away, think about it. Yeah. Instead of just kind of doing it mindlessly. That's three quarters of a pound of plastic every day. Yeah. Comes from you and I, our waste. The U.S. is the only developed nation whose waste generation outstrips its ability to recycle, underscoring a shortage of political will and investment in infrastructure, the study said. That's right. So we have the ability. Yeah. We're just not doing it. The U.S. has much better recycling abilities than much of the world, but the sheer amount of waste we generate is too much to deal with. Yeah. And now China is refusing a recycled material yeah. now. There's a policy now that we used to be able to send it off to China. We can't do that anymore. So now it's either piling up somewhere without any means to effectively get rid of it, or we're just not bothering to recycle it at all, and it's ending up in landfills, which is the worst possible scenario. Globally, more than 2 billion metric tons of municipal waste are generated each year. Only 16% of that waste is recycled. That's globally. Humans have made 8.3 billion tons of plastic since 1950. That's what's total here on the planet. Senior environmental analyst Niall Smith of the global risk consulting firm Verisk Mablecroft, the company who completed the study, said there's too much focus on recycling being the kind of silver bullet solution, which it is not. We have enough plastic in circulation. 
to really cause disruption of marine food webs, which is already in process. I think that what we need to be working towards is almost a zero material footprint society. Yes. In other words, there's already too much plastic. Stop it! Right now there's too much plastic. Every piece of plastic that's ever been produced is still around in some form. Yeah. We'll get to that a little bit later. Where yeah. there, there might be promise as far as I, I know. Goes, uh, I know yeah, there yeah. might be. Ah, promise. The U.S. has been accused of block. <laughs> the U.S. has been accused of blocking international efforts to limit plastic waste including banning single-use water bottles and plastic bags. We've been trying to block that from happening. And our country was not party to a global agreement seeking to slow the flow of poor quality plastics to developing nations. Yeah. So we're just hurting ourselves yeah, here. We are. Shooting future generations in their feet. <laughs> Meanwhile, scientists are making progress with plastic-eating bacteria. Although... Yeah. There are reservations here. Yes. Back in April, we reported that scientists accidentally created a new enzyme capable of breaking down plastic bottles. Currently, recycling just grinds plastic into smaller plastic. Yeah. That's, that's all <laughs> that's, we're doing here. It. Yeah. Manufacturers then turn that smaller plastic into lower quality plastic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah not so good. But yeah. in bio-based recycling, plastic-eating organisms give you back the building blocks to make new chemical materials. So it breaks it all down. Mm -hmm. Scientists are now synthesizing the gene that produces the plastic-eating organisms so it can later be slipped into E. coli, <laughs> a single-celled organism that is quick and easy to grow in a lab. If this is successful, we'll be able to coexist with plastics, not drown in their pollution, if it's successful. If it's successful. So if this gets off the ground, things may look up. But some folks fear bio-based recycling might backfire that a rogue bacteria might start eating the wrong polymers, like the console at KUCI. <laughs> say, say, that would say, be bad. Yeah. So we're in the middle of this show. <laughs> For all of a sudden. And, uh, yeah, and exactly. we're off the air. And off the air all and, the last yeah. thing you hear is that. <laughs> yeah. that the sound of Mahler <laughs> crying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, poor Mahler. Poor Mahler. Well, again, you mentioned, and I don't think this is actually translatable into effectively hurting human beings, but you mentioned E. coli as the that too. as the carrier. You know, I'm sure they might work. Yeah, that I'm out, sure they'll denude that's just an the easy. Yeah, this could happen. Yeah. The eating of the uh, yeah. polymers, like we could lose our CD collection. <laughs> they just be eaten by a rogue bacteria. But it probably won't happen. Meanwhile, we don't do a great job of cleaning up plastics, partly because we're primitive capitalists, and there's never been an economic incentive to clean up the crap we leave behind. This is where everything goes off the rails. We think of everything as dollars and cents, as profit and all the rest of it in our society, and it's a, a terrible way to look at these things because there is a growing science called social costs, and until we- That's a science? It is. It's a burgeoning science of- it's not a science. It's a practicality. And it figuring out, okay, figuring out- what are the hidden costs? What are the social costs? What are the things that we are not being charged for at the counter, but we're paying for in other ways? We don't connect the dots. So if you can take those plastic building blocks and assemble them into something more valuable than the original, like auto parts mm -hmm. or wind turbines or a new antenna for KUCI. Or sex dolls. Good idea, Mike. Thank you. You can change recycling's calculus, which would hopefully help decrease oil drilling demands for new plastic production. Mm -hmm. 
If this news intrigues you, may I recommend a donation to KUCI because you're listening? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio at KUCI FM. KUCI.org. All right. Iguanas are multiplying in Florida as the climate warms. The old climate crisis is up to some pretty strange things here. After a warm winter and now with record-breaking summer heat, the kind of weather iguanas thrive in. Mm -hmm. They love that stuff. They do. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission has declared open season on iguanas. (laughs) Get them out. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission encourages homeowners to kill green iguanas on their own property whenever possible. The commission recently wrote on its website, agency biologists say iguanas are causing erosion, degradation of infrastructure such as water control structures, canal banks, seawalls, and building foundations. Iguanas also like to destroy landscaping. So I figure you just set them loose at KUCI and they just destroy the whole park here. (laughs) Iguanas in Central Park. It's a new (laughs) horror film. It sounds like a horror film, yeah. They also can carry salmonella. Yeah. Yeah. Iguanas sound like a fun little animal to have around. And the climate crisis is helping them spread quickly. If we don't do something soon, they could literally take over. That was according to Joseph Wasilewski, who's studied green iguanas for 40 years. Wasilewski is part of the University of Florida's Croc Docs team of scientists who study wildlife in Florida and the Caribbean. And in the Caribbean... The Grand Cayman Island went from having no green iguanas in 2000 to having an estimated 1.6 million iguanas in 2018. My God. Yeah. The island launched a iguana mega execution last fall. Nearly 800,000 iguanas have been killed so far. So they're whittling it down there. So they so they still have yeah two hundred thousand yeah and they're multiplying yeah check it out green iguanas can grow up to five feet long and weigh about seventeen pounds although local trappers say they've seen them bigger they live for ten years or more and the females can lay six dozen eggs at a time seventy two eggs in one shot wow wow that's a lot of iguanas they dig long tunnels. Up to 80 feet long, sometimes under seawalls, sometimes under houses, and occasionally under highway overpasses. Can you imagine have like a team of 70 iguanas digging 80 foot long tunnels under the 5 freeway? No. That'd be crazy. But there's an upside. Okay. <laughs> tell me. Tell me what you... Okay. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. Kind of an upside. Iguanas can make good pets, I guess. Uh-huh. <laughs> Aside from the salmonella. And in Caribbean countries, they're called chicken of the trees. <laughs> chicken of the trees. That's right, Mahler. Chicken of the trees because they taste good. Does every reptile taste like chicken? Is that, is that the deal? I think so. Oh, my goodness. I haven't had one. I've Ask been, Kevin. Ask Kevin. I bet yeah. he's eaten one of his reptiles. That's true. Probably has, yeah. You, you ought to have a barbecue sometime. <laughs> A major Indian city of 9 million people is running out of water. Chennai, reservoirs, and lakes are parched, and its wells have run dry after two years of little rain. 
Local authorities are trucking in water and desalinating seawater, but the supply is less than half the city's basic requirement. India faces a looming water crisis. As its population grows, urbanization intensifies and global temperatures rise. This year it is Chennai, but Bangalore, Hyderabad and Delhi are all facing similar water scarcity, said Samrat Basak, a water expert at the World Resources Institute in India. Together, those four cities are home to about 60 million people. India is the world's largest user of groundwater. Mm-hmm. So you got 60 million people. They're using a lot of groundwater. Twelve ur- major urban areas have been using groundwater at an unsustainable rate since at least 2013. As Chennai has grown, natural water bodies have been squeezed and polluted by the expanding metropolis. Like much of India, the city relies on yearly monsoon rains for its water needs. If the rains fail again this year, Chennai will be unlivable. It's over. They're going to have to get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a phenomenon occurring around the world with huge cities like you're talking about in India where they're actually sinking. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and I just want to kind of refresh everyone's memory. Mexico City is sinking at a rate of about two inches a year. Soil has collapsed in certain areas up to 19 inches in Mexico City, the area around it. It's because they pump so much water out of the aquifer that it's truly in the process of sinking beyond repair. Parts of it. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9 on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com on Twitter at KUCIFM on Instagram at KUCIFM. Stream us live on TuneIn and on iTunes go to Internet College University KUCI 88.9 FM. (laughs) Meanwhile, Desalination is booming as cities are running out of water. Every day, 100 million gallons of seawater are pushed through semi-permeable membranes to create 50 million gallons of water that is piped to municipal users. The desalination plant in Carlsbad, right here in California, about 50 miles down the coast, became fully operational in 2015 and creates about 10% of the fresh water the 3.1 million people in the region use at about twice the cost of the other main source of water. You know what? Mm. Get rid of your lawns, Carlsbad. Yeah. Just get rid of your lawns. Is it that important to mow a lawn? Jesus. A second plant similar to Carlsbad is being built in Huntington Beach, California which is right practically here. We yep. could walk to it. Yes. They got a lot of lawns. That's They do. With the same 50 million gallon a day capability. Currently, there are 11 desalination plants in California and 10 more are proposed. So we're going to spend twice as much for our drinking water because we love our lawns. <laughs> Around the world, population explosion in many water stressed places, including parts of China, India, South Africa, and the United States, especially in California in Arizona is happening. A population explosion. Paul Ehrlich is alive. Yes, he is. And then there's the climate crisis. Meanwhile, the cost of desalinating water has been coming down as the technology evolves and the cost of other sources increases. But it's still about twice as much as water water, desalinated water, and it's plagued by some serious environmental problems. 
Greenhouse gas emissions created by the power needed to desalinate, especially in the Middle East where they use fossil fuels for everything, are a significant contributor to global warming, and it takes two gallons of seawater. This is the one that concerns me. Yeah, say we got solar power doing our desalinating. It takes two gallons of seawater to make a gallon of fresh water, which means the gallon left behind is briny. Yeah. They pump the brine into the ocean where it can deplete the ocean of oxygen and kill sea life. Another problem comes from the sucking in of seawater for processing. When a fish gets stuck on the intake screen, it dies or is injured. Fish larvae, eggs, and plankton get sucked into the system and are killed too. However, if you just stop your love affair with the lawn, we can just do away with all this nonsense. You know, just for example, SoCal landscaping consumes about 100 gallons per person per day. That's our landscaping. Now, of course, that includes parks and all. But nevertheless, 100 gallons per day for every person. And 70% of that is for lawns. Yeah. So 70 gallons a day in Southern California for every person goes to water lawns in your community. <laughs> yeah. Mahler likes to pee on a lawn, though. Yeah, he he does, his, he like, he, it's, it's not desalinated, nice, though. Huh? It's not desalinated. No, water. no, it's it's very... It's uh, highly yeah, concentrated, ac yeah, acidic, yeah, water. Acidy. Acidy is the proper scientific <laughs> That's word. That's right. Acidy. <laughs> From Mother Jones, the DNC email hack that helped Trump defeat Hillary and caused the climate gate, or as I like to call it, big oil gate email hack, may be connected. <laughs> Years before he ran for president, Trump called into Fox News after a blizzard and said climate change was a hoax. It was a reversal for Trump, because just months before, Trump had signed onto a full-page ad in the New York Times calling on President Barack Obama and other leaders to take bold action to combat climate change in Copenhagen, where they were going to have some negotiations. I think this was just a dig on Obama. I don't think Trump knew what the hell he wanted. Exactly. Because he reversed course in about a month. Right. Now, on Fox, when he was calling in, now meaning back then, Trump was claiming that one of the leaders of global warming had recently admitted in a private email that years of scientific research were nothing but a con. That's a lie. The, the emails itself didn't say anything that's, like that. He's a liar. So Trump was even... talking about the 2009 big oil gate scandal, what they call climate gate, but there's no controversy in the climate. Right. The controversy was that big oil was setting all this up. Yes. Big oil scandal, where emails from climate scientists were hacked and spread across the internet. Right. Right. Kind of sounds like what happened to the DNC. Exactly. In hindsight, the big oil gate hack, clearly timed to disrupt the 2009 Copenhagen climate negotiations, looks like a trial run for the hack that helped change the outcome of the 2016 presidential election. That's right. WikiLeaks published both sets of emails, the big oil hack. And, and, and Hillary's. And Hillary's. I d don't believe the Russians were involved in climate gate, but you don't know. Well, you don't know. There's this cozy relationship between Exxon and the Russians, Rex Tillerson, right? Yes. And also, what is Russia's economy completely based on? Yeah. Fossil fuel. Climate crisis deniers claim that the email messages showed scientists fabricating a warming pattern that didn't really exist, but that wasn't true. It wasn't even what the conversation was about in the email. The big oil gate emails in no way altered the well-established fact that humans are changing the climate. Multiple investigations completely exonerated the climate researchers. Yeah, it just muddied the waters. That's yeah. all it did. Yeah, exactly. But a media firestorm undercut public confidence in the science just as the world leaders were meeting in Copenhagen to cut greenhouse gas emissions. 
it was not long after that that Tillerson got his Medal of Honor, the highest civilian honor that the Russians can bestow on anyone uh-huh. from Vladimir Putin. During this whole fiasco, the Washington Post quoted climate skeptic Myron Eba, who would later run Trump's Environmental Protection Agency transition team, as saying the emails about the climate crisis exposed an alarmist political agenda. In other words, all this ice that's been melting up in the Arctic, that's all an alarmist political agenda. The Post even ran an op-ed by Sarah Palin, who claimed that scientists had manipulated data to hide the decline in global temperatures. After three weeks of relentless ClimateGate Big Oil Gate coverage, the UN Climate Conference in Copenhagen began and the negotiations immediately broke down, a diplomatic failure that set climate crisis prevention or reduction back years. It did. I think that we will look back on the 2009 Copenhagen climate meeting as the most significant opportunity that the world had to really address it in a way that they hadn't for the previous 25 or 30 years. We could have gotten on top of it instead of being so far behind. And now we're reactive. The days of proactively addressing climate change are over. Now we're in a completely reactive mode. Michael Mann's groundbreaking hockey stick chart, named after the steep rise in global temperatures it depicts, has been validated by many independent studies since its publication two decades ago, but the bogus big oil gate hack had a big impact on U.S. public opinion, helping climate change denial become even more entrenched in the Republican Party and helping big oil to win elections. 80% of conservatives who followed big oil gate said they had less trust in scientists as a result. So you listened to lies and you were convinced by them. Hmm. Kind of sounds like what happened in the 2016 election. 73% of them said it made them more certain that global warming wasn't happening. 69% of all respondents who followed the story and 94% of conservatives agreed with the statement that scientists changed the result to make global warming appear worse than it is. What is it? I I understand one part of that, that equation, and that is... There's no money for a lot of people in going along with taking steps to mitigate climate crisis. The money's on the other side. But when presented with the facts, how is it that people continue to not believe it? And by the way, one other little thing in this whole equation, and that is, shouldn't we err on the side of caution? Shouldn't this be part of our thought process? You may not believe that climate change is happening on the scale that it's happening, but shouldn't you believe in taking measures to mitigate it just in case it's happening. Speaking of facing the facts, more than 100 wildfires in the Arctic Circle released 50 megatons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere in June. The Arctic Ring of Fire has been burning in Siberia and Alaska for weeks. Though fire is a natural part of some Arctic ecosystems, scientists are calling the wildfires unprecedented for the month of June based on their size and carbon dioxide emissions. These are some of the biggest fires on the planet, with a few appearing to be larger than 390 square miles, Thomas Smith, professor of geography at the London School of Economics, said. The amount of CO2 emitted from Arctic Circle fires in June 2019 is larger than all of the CO2 released from Arctic Circle fires in the same month from 2010 to 2018 put together. Seven months larger than this one month. In Alaska alone, there have been already 
369 wildfires this year, burning through nearly 650,000 acres. Some wildfires in the Arctic Circle are natural. They happen normally, but extreme temperatures and rapid warming are creating out-of-control blazes, some too far removed from civilization to fight. And the smoke from the wildfires can travel thousands of miles. For example, scientists have tracked smoke from a Canadian wildfire moving all the way across the Atlantic. God. So Europe is choking <laughs> on our smoke. I swear to you, when I read this story yesterday, I... I almost cried. I mean, I I know I'm I know I'm being a little dramatic here, but this is Alaska. And you know what? How many times have you seen this story lead a national news? Never. Never. Yeah. yeah. In a week where Trump caused a constitutional crisis by asking his Justice Department to reverse the decision by the Supreme Court about the citizenship question on the 2020 census, and where Trump didn't understand what the terms busing or Western-style liberalism means, Bernie Sanders was proven right. Yeah. Good for Bernie. Good for Bernie. Yeah, Bernie Sanders, Mahler. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's a, Good boy. Feel the burn. <laughs> why was Bernie Sanders right, yeah, you might ask? Yeah, why? Republican tax cuts cost more than forgiving student debt. You know, the crazy people in, in the media uh, yeah. that, that are too conservative to face the facts. Yeah. Like, especially at Fox News. Yeah. They kept saying, oh, he's unreasonable. Why would he want to forgive all that student debt? Well, <laughs> Trump essentially did that, only instead of forgiving it, he gave all the money to people who didn't need it. Yes. <laughs> in this election cycle, <sighs> Sanders is promising to forgive all outstanding student loan debt if elected. In 2006, total student loan debt stood at $481 billion. Here are the numbers. Which is a lot. Since then, total student loan debt has more than tripled, now standing at $1.6 trillion. And so much of this debt is so bogus. There are people who've been paying off loans for 20 years still paying on the interest. Yeah. And also, how many people have been suckered into going onto these uh, private for-profit colleges with worthless diplomas? They set up regulations so that these people cannot be forgiven. The debt cannot be forgiven. Estimates of the cost of the Republican Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 from the Congressional Budget Office estimates that the new tax law would add $2.3 $2.3 trillion to national debt by 2028. They're also expecting some growth of about $461 billion, meaning that overall the tax cuts could cost the country $1.9 trillion. That's over the amount that the student debt was, $1.6 trillion. Right. Without policy change, the U.S. student loan debt crisis is projected to keep growing. Each minute, approximately $150,000 of student loan debt is repaid. But in the same minute, according to data from the Federal Reserve, $191,000 of new debt is borrowed. Every minute, students go about $40,000 more into debt. And the sharks are making money. An interdisciplinary team of scientists claimed to have eliminated the HIV virus from the genomes of mice by combining the CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing tool with an experimental new drug. More work is required before clinical trials can begin. But here's how it works. HIV is a retrovirus that embeds itself with DNA as a means to replicate. 
Antiretroviral therapy can suppress HIV replication, but it can't eliminate every trace of the disease because it's not capable of purging cells where the virus has gone dormant. As new research shows, CRISPR-Cas9, when used in conjunction with a new form of antiretroviral therapy, provided a one-two punch that flushed out the virus from the genomes of living animals, namely mice. <laughs> it's never been done before. In experiments on mice that were genetically modified to have certain similarities with humans, a research team eliminated all traces of the HIV virus in more than 30% of infected mice. But Kevin Morris, a professor at the Center for Gene Therapy at the City of Hope, said he was very, very concerned about the potential for this CRISPR-based therapy to go off the rails. Yeah, yeah a lot of people are, Mahler. Yeah, yeah. It has the risk of causing cancer, Morris said. This is because the approach depends on using a gene therapy that is known to persist a long time in the body. The long-term persistence could lead to CRISPR, which cuts HIV out of the cell, cutting other sites in an uncontrolled manner. The cutting of other sites in the human cell could lead that cell to become cancerous. Yep. It's great that you can get down to this molecular level and begin to affect diseases in, in and maybe cure or eradicate diseases. But it also is the Frankenstein question, which yeah. is just because you can do this, should you do it? New York announced that there are officially 2,373 squirrels in Central Park. <laughs> Mother likes squirrels. He loves squirrels. In Westchester, California, a rat fell from the ceiling onto a table at a Buffalo Wild Wings restaurant. Ah. You're sitting there eating your Wild Wings? Yeah, I love yeah. my Wild Wings. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Right there? Yeah, right there. Is it, rat. And then the first question is, am I going to be charged for this? Yeah. Yeah, because I love dipping one of those right into some of that barbecue sauce. Yeah, yeah. barbecue. Oh, yeah. Barbecue that rat. Yeah, barbecue that rat. And finally. Yeah. Do you ever drive in the HOV lane by yourself, Mike? You know, the high-occupancy vehicle lane, and you're by yourself? I did the other night. Did you mean to? Yes, I you did. You bastard. No, they were doing work on, they're doing a whole bunch of work right up there by Beach Boulevard and yeah. Golden West, right in that uh -huh. area, right? Uh -huh. Cram you down into two lanes, yeah. and one of the other lanes is the HOV. Yeah. And I thought, it's a lot of traffic here, and other people were dipping into that lane. So I followed. Yeah, I don't do that stuff, Mike. I do. Yeah. That's not how I spend my naughty boy chips. <laughs> it doesn't seem worth it. I want to do something illegal. Okay. I want to make it illegal. <laughs> illegal. A Nevada Highway Patrol officer pulled over a hearse in a Las Vegas HOV lane with only the driver, no passenger. When told he was violating the high occupancy vehicle law, the driver pointed to the coffin in the back of the hearse and asked, doesn't he count? <laughs> You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review Podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.